0: It's good to be together. Welcome to those watching online and in the gym. It is um, it is good to see us gradually being able to get more and more together as as vaccines are happening and just a, a lot of good things. And so I look forward to when we're all in the same building again and worshiping together. I want to start with a, a, a question. And just I want you to think in your minds a little bit. What was most of influential for you in either coming to Christ or growing in Christ as a young believer. So just think in your minds, what was influential? What were the factors that led you to Christ or that were influential in your your growth in Christ early on? So have that in your mind. Now, now, how many of you, does do those factors include a person? Raise your hand. Okay? So for most of you, it includes a person. How many of you does it include a person that is not a pastor? There were more hands. Wait a minute. (laughs) What we just saw, and I don't know if you looked around, there was at least 80% of the people in this room that said one of the most influential factors in them coming to Christ or growing in Christ was a person who was not a pastor. Okay, think about that this morning, because that becomes a foundation of what we want to look at in our text today and what Paul is trying to teach Titus The church family helps each other grow. The church family helps disciple each other and helps generate that kind of spiritual maturity. Now, up until this point, we've been looking at Titus 1, and Titus 1 deals with leadership. Titus 2 shifts from leadership to each individual person in the church and says, okay, the theme is still, how can we have a solid church? How can we be solid doctrinally? And he dealt with elders in qualification for elders. And he dealt with false teachers, the end of chapter one, and standing against them and speaking truth, and especially the elders speaking truth, countering them. But now he gets to the meat and potatoes and says, here's how you grow as a church. It happens as each individual and each part of the church does its work and comes together to disciple each other to follow Christ. And that's probably the summary of the whole morning. And, and uh, you know, stay with us as we break down the text. But that's really where, where Paul is going with Titus and these churches on Crete. Crete who had the rough culture and, and just an individualistic culture and, and a lot of just really negative things happening at Crete with the, with the community there, with the people there. But the church must thrive even in that situation. And it does it through discipleship. It does it through men and women in the church, helping other men and women in the church know how to live for God. And so if you had to take the main point of this passage today, and it's at the top of your notes, the older are to be an example of godliness as they teach and train the younger to live out sound doctrine in everyday life. And it's not saying the older pastors or the older elders, the older in the church are to be an example of godliness As they teach and train, the younger to live out the sound doctrine of everyday life. And so turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, as we still talk about how to be a healthy church. How to be a sound church that's committed to undistracted godliness. That's committed to helping each other to undistracted godliness. Titus chapter 2. And verse 1 serves as an introduction for 2 through 8. Actually, a little bit longer than that, we'll talk next week. But 2 through 8 that we're talking this week. And In verse 1 is this introduction, and he says, but as for you, and that's a contrast to what just came before, and if you look at the end of chapter 1, he's contrasting it to the false teachers, and he's talking to Titus here and says, but as for you, as the pastor, as someone leading these churches, helping these churches grow, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, or with stable and true doctrine." And so, right from the start, Paul is saying, teach sound doctrine. Teach what is in accords with, or what flows from sound doctrine, what corresponds with sound doctrine. And you would think that the next few verses, now we get to get a class on theology, right? We get a class on theology proper, the study of God, of Christology, of the Trinity, and bibliology, and, and we can, we can study all these issues of doctrine, And that's not where chapter 2 goes. It's not where chapter 2 goes at all. Instead, chapter 2 says, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine and everything that follows is either an attitude or behavior of godliness. And we've talked about this a couple times in Titus already. We talked about it in James. The point that Paul is making here is we cannot separate what we believe from how we act. What we believe will always flow to how we act. And so right from here, he says, you need to believe sound doctrine, but it needs to come out in your actions. If I believe that you are a liar and always trying to deceive me, how do I come to our conversations? What was that? Skeptical, with a bit of skepticism, or a lot of skepticism, depending on how many times you've burned me. And so what I believe about you affects how I treat the conversation. If I believe the world is ending tomorrow, might that change what I do today? I'm not going to make my bed. I mean <laughs> I, the, Your belief affects your actions. I'm probably not going to worry about the loan payments or things like that. No, what we believe affects our actions. And we know this to be true. You all believed the chairs would hold you up. and That's a common example, but none of you checked them as you walked in. You believed the chair would hold you, and so you sat down. What we believe affects our behavior. And so the, the converse is true. If we are struggling with our behavior, if we are struggling living out godliness, we actually are probably st- struggling with our doctrine and our theology. Now, now this can be, this can be a really interesting thing to think, but we don't always live what we believe, but usually it's because we don't really believe it. You know, in America, 87% of, of people in America, and that's probably gone a little lower in recent years, 87% of people in America say they believe in God, but very few are in church every Sunday. There's a, there's a, there's a, a separation between what they say they believe and what they actually do. And I would argue that what they actually do shows what they actually believe. Right? I and mean, it makes sense. I would say 87% of the people don't, don't, aren't committed to God. Aren't trusting God. You know, our teens that are here, I, I know the stats. I was in youth ministry a long time and our teens will say we should live for God and, and a, a life for God is best. But then rampantly, even among Christian teens, they leave Sunday school, they leave church and go do whatever they want, no matter how wrong it might be. Whether they're sleeping with a boyfriend or girlfriend or cussing or or just not following God in any way. It's why the teen pregnancy rates among Christian kids aren't any different from non-Christian kids. That's a problem. And it's a problem with our beliefs. It's a problem with our doctrine. And so Paul is trying to train the church to match their beliefs with their doctrine on this island where Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, as he said in, in verse 12 of the last chapter. But the way that he's going to say to break it is in the church, we need to be an example of godliness and we need to train others how to live godly lives. The two has to be, tr- the two have to be true and it starts on the individual level. We need the older ones to match what they believe with how they act and be an example of that and then teach the younger ones how to do that. And so out of this introduction, just our commitment at Village, we are committed to being a church where we disciple each other in godliness flowing from sound doctrine. It's how Paul starts. We are committed to being a church where we disciple each other in godliness flowing from sound doctrine. And we need to match what we believe with what we do. Now you might say, well, we sin. And it's just hard to to make those match. Is it really that we don't believe it? So so if I'm struggling with sin, if I'm struggling with doing what I want because I think I'm always right, what belief might I be struggling with? A fear of God, an awe of God, a belief that God is all-wise and all-knowing. And whether I admit it or not, I'm struggling with that belief. If I'm struggling with compassion and how I love others, I probably have a defective doctrine of God's love. If I'm struggling with being harsh, I probably have a defective doctrine of how God treats his children. And we can go on and on and on. Today we're going to see if I'm struggling with roles and gender roles, and yeah, we're going to go there a little bit today, then I'm struggling with the doctrine of creation. And I'm struggling with how God created each of us to be. And so what we believe matters, but this sometimes is insight to correcting our doctrine and then living it out. Do I believe God is present or is he far away? That affects whether I think I can get away with things. Do I believe God is holy and righteous or will he accept just enough? And so we, we see our doctrine matters. And so we come to this next section, and, and two through eight, we're going to go through four different categories in the church. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men. And he's going to speak to each of those categories, and he's going to speak into what some of the general temptations are for that different category, and how those things affect discipleship and an ability to pass on godliness. Now, as we do this, I would I would encourage you and exhort you, look at your own section first. And look at yourself first. So this can be really easy to... Di- I mean, we are great at diagnosing others in the church. This morning's about diagnosing self, okay? And diagnosing where we're at. Because we can say, you know what? Our church would be more godly if those older men or if those younger women or younger men... But take a look at your section. And in your notes, I just have uh, blanks for each section that you can fill in. Because he's going to talk to each of them. Also, some uh, one other point that I want to make before we get into these. He uses words like teach in verse 1. In verse 4, he's going to use the word train. And and that training has to do with exercising discipline and self-control to learn this. The things that, that he is going to share here are not things we do naturally. If we have to teach them, that means they are unlearned. If we have to train in them, that means they aren't there and we need to work on them. So it makes sense? So as we come to these things, these are things in culture and in our natural man, natural woman that are problem areas. And so we have to realize these are countercultural These are things that culture is going to be training us differently on, both for the Cretans and for us. And so we want to come with a seriousness not to write these things off and not to say, well, that's just me, but to say God has a different way, a different look for godliness than what is natural. And we have to work at this. Sometimes we look at discipleship and say, I want it to be easy. I want those relationships to come easily. I just want to click. You know, we we both even like the same flavor of Starbucks. Discipleship is not easy. It is hard and it's worth it. It's challenging because we're different people. It's challenging because we are fighting natural inclinations that are there because of sin. And so we come, verses 2 through 8, to sound behavior in a discipling church sound behavior in each of the groups, and and we're to live and teach actions that match right belief in God's Word. And you're going to hear me keep using live and teach or be an example and train because those are the two things that come up throughout this text. Are we an example that qualifies us to disciple? And are we teachable that we can hear the lessons and hear the input? And are we willing to train others to do that? And so we're going to be challenged with questions like, are we willing to live out our faith? Are we willing to train and be trained? Are we willing and are we looking to attract others to Jesus? One other preface before we dive in, there's two groups he's talking to, right? Four groups, but two age groups, the older and the younger. And so we have to answer the the question that's the elephant in the room, which are you, right? Are you older or younger? And, and, to our, to our more experienced saints, this is not an insult. <laughs> Some of you here are older. Praise God. Praise God for that wisdom. I praise God every Sunday I come in when I see people that are under one years old and people that are in their nineties. Because that's what a church and what a healthy church should look like. And so when we look at the wording here for older, when we look at the wording for younger, we do, we should ask, which are you? And my answer to that is it depends, okay? It, you can be both, depending on the situation. But in general, as, as Paul is here writing to Titus, if you are of the age where you have children at home, you are probably more in the younger category here. One commentary said 40 and under. One commentary said 50 and under. Now, I know this is challenging because when we're in our 30s, we think we think, well, we are adults, but we really, the, the pressure of this world starts to think, well, I don't need input from other people. I'm now passing it on because I have it pretty much together. But on this, we can all think that, right? But in this, it's, it's thinking more life stages and life stages of we always need to be looking at those that have gone before and looking for their wisdom. always. And we should be looking to pass on what God has taught us to those that are younger. And and I will say, that doesn't mean we were perfect at this. One of the obstacles to discipleship I often hear is, well, I messed up in that area of my life. And I actually like hearing from them more. If they're walking with God now, I want to know how they messed up. And I want to know how I I won't make those same mistakes. And and so we come to this, and it depends. If, If you are... If you have kids at home, yeah, this is going to hit more that you're the younger. If your kids are adults and and moving on with their life, you're probably more in the older here. But this is hard because we want to be seen as adults. Now, again, you might be in both categories. For Susie and I, um, I might be over 50. Um, (laughs) But you know what? I need you that have raised kids through the teen years for advice and for input and for your prayers and so we're talking all the time with people at village that have raised their kids trying to get as much input as we can but at the same time hopefully we can give input to those with younger kids because we we went through that stage and we we're alive and and our kids are alive and these are good things (laughs) and we can learn from each other and so there is a a interdependence of the church that is represented in this passage. And no matter who we are, we're always to be striving for the character of the mature while seeking out those that have gone before. And so we come to these four categories. The first category is to be the older men and women. And older Christians, older men and women are to be examples of godly behavior and they have a responsibility, not just a a hope, not just a maybe, they have a responsibility to teach and train the younger how to live godly lives. And so throughout the, the first section, the first two sections to the older, it's gonna be all about qualifications, qualifications to disciple and to be an example. And so we start with verse 2, a word for older men. And and to summarize it, it's to be a sound foundation. Verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. And he paints a picture of a mature man walking with God. And if we look at each of those ca- those items, sober-minded is a characteristic of maturity. It's how you think and make decisions. I know some translations tie this to the use of alcohol and, and not being under the influence, and it definitely has that connotation, but it was generally used of a broader idea of thinking clearly, think being level-headed, um, self-possession in all circumstances was what one author wrote. And I really liked that because self-possession or self-control is going to be a theme we're going to see in every one of the four categories. And so this represents a clarity of mind that results in good judgment. That as men, as you get older, it's not to be rash decisions, not impulsive decisions, not making decisions without hearing the whole story, But rather, and not making them out of an emotional response or just experiential, what I've experienced in life. But rather it's to be stable and clear-headed. You're the ones that will help give that foundation to the rest of the church. The ones that in a situation say, well, let's stop. Let's just stop for a moment and pray about it and think about it. That is a sign of maturity and level-headedness. It's basically to have a good head on your shoulders, to speak wisely and maturely. The second one there is to be dignified. Worthy of respect. First one deals with how you think. This one is how you act. Act worthy of respect. So one of the things about discipleship You can't demand respect of leadership or in anything, right? You can't demand respect and require respect. You earn respect. And this one says live in a, live a life that people want to copy. And so older men look at yourselves and say, do I want the younger men to copy who I am? That's a hard look in the mirror, but it's a look in the mirror we need to do. And and again, He's not saying we have to be perfect at these things, but that is our trajectory. That is our goal. And we are confessing when we don't meet up to that. And so dignified, worthy of respect, is to act in an honorable, noble way. A seriousness of purpose that invite honor and respect. I, I hope my sons say I want to be like that. I hope I live that kind of life. And in the church family, older men, that is the goal. Do we live in a way that elicits that kind of respect? The third one in that list is to be self-controlled. It's very it's very closely related with sober-minded, the first one. This is more what you choose to do, to be right-minded, to be able to exercise self-mastery. And we're going to see this throughout the morning. And so we'll just describe it now, to be sensible, to do the right thing even when you don't feel like doing the right thing. And this is vital for for an older man in discipleship. Because we see it in the home, right? Dads, if you struggle with self-control, what do your sons struggle with? Self-control. Guaranteed. In the church, men, if we are rash and if we fly off the handle and our anger controls us, we are, we are generating a, an example where the younger will copy that and not even think twice. And so how we live matters. And so Titus' first instruction, teach the older men to act in a way worthy of copy. And then he he lists three things, sound in their faith, in their love, and steadfastness. It's almost faith, love, and hope, which was a triad we see throughout the New Testament. And many people think that's really where he was going. But when you talk to older men and older people, one of the evidences of hope is steadfastness. Of enduring, of continuing. Men, finish well. Finish your life well in your example and in your training. Be steadfast. Don't let God down your guard. Don't let down your guard spiritually because you no longer have kids in the house or, or because you can just coast with where you're at. Don't let down your guard and don't retire from ministry steadfastness keeps doing the things that benefit the church even when you're older and even when you're retired. I love it when men retire from their jobs because I know biblically they they can't retire from their church. And so we have such great examples of retired men here who are investing in the church and investing in people in the church. Men keep that up. Keep doing that. These are all qualifications to disciple and to be an example. Now on each of these, we could look at the temptations that they're combating. And, and on this one, if we think of the temptation as we get older and retire and wonder if we have significance in life, it, it, it's fighting the temptation to be grumpy or to pick arguments, or to be cynical, to coast in our, our Christian life, or to be weary of service. Those are all the natural man. And Paul is saying teach men to fight that, to be self controlled, to be an example until the day Jesus brings them home, and not to stop a moment earlier, and to keep investing. Older men, we need you. We need the foundation you provide at Village. We need the wisdom you provide and the sensibility of decision making we need you to invest in young men and come alongside and say don't do that or do that we need you the next group he talks to is the older women in 3 and 4 and and older women goes right into younger women and we'll see why so 4 is is a verse i use for both in verse 3 Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women or the young women. And so these, the the older women, the call for you is to be holy in everyday life and to be teaching in everyday life. These are the ones in the church that are the patient teachers about just life to the younger women. You know, th- this group is mostly women who, who had children and raised them and they're out of the house. And the empty nest can be a very difficult time. It can be a time where, okay, now what do I do? I've devoted my life to raising the, these kids and they're walking with God, praise God, and I've launched them and we've launched them well. And then you, you, you wake up the next morning and you're like, hmm, what do I do? And it's a real issue, and the issue, the message to older women in the church that are at that point is, let's go. You're still doing it. You're still training. You're still helping younger, younger women know how to do this in the church. You're still part of a family, a church family, where people are being discipled and raised to follow God. But so many, if we think of the temptations, the temptation at that point in life Especially for older women is to become a little more cynical. To be much more critical. To talk about others because you have this extra time. And so there's some slander and gossip. It's so easy to fall into complaining about everything that is wrong and letting our guard down because the kids are gone. Kids in the home help us keep our guard up on godliness, moms and dads, right? And when they're gone, it's easy to say, ah, I can just be myself. Being yourself is sinful. We want to be like Christ. And so Titus is, Paul to Titus is going to say, teach the older women how to combat that natural, natural woman in them, the the sinful nature, and how to live a life again as an example to those that are younger. And so he starts with being reverent in behavior. And he's dealing with their demeanor and their actions and, and reverent in the way they live, a personal godliness. And it's a a call to say, live every moment of life as if it's holy, because it is. The word here is actually used of a priestess sometimes. And the idea is to live every moment in life like you are showing God to others, even when your kids are gone. To treat life and to treat ordinary life as we're going to see by what is taught to the younger women, to treat everyday life as a sacred spiritual ministry. Because when we start to have a dichotomy against the the sacred and the secular and, and think that the secular life has no spiritual value, that's a problem and it's bad doctrine. Whereas God wants us to be holy in every part of our lives. And so older women, everything you do, even if it feels like, much of what you've invested in is now out of the house. Everything you do is an opportunity to train and to teach how to live life for God. Going to the store can be holy. Shopping can be holy. Caring for your extended family is holy. This this is is saying the manner of life is an expression of your inner character. And so fixing the meals and buying clothes this is all the idea of doing it for Jesus, of being self-controlled in that and focusing on Jesus. He then gives a couple of illustrations, don't do this, and a couple of negative issues. Probably these were really prevalent in Crete, but as we read them, I'm like, ah, oh, man, that's true today too. The first one to older women is don't become slanderers. Don't be slanderers. And he's speaking of any speech, true or false, that harms someone else's reputation. It includes gossip. It includes talking about people when you're not talking to them and not trying to re, re, um, resolve the problem. It, re, it involves repeating charges that you've heard, repeating things. We must guard our speech. And and older women, he he is asking you to be especially diligent on this. To be diligent on gossip. It is so easy to get together with others and friends and just start to air our grievances and and because especially if we process verbally, it, it can be easy to do that. The problem is that's sin and that's gossip and it's harming other people's reputation. And... And, and here's how this works out in the life of the church. Gossip is always a problem, especially in a small family church, right? I think we we all can acknowledge that. We need the older ones to stand up and say, don't talk about that. That's an inappropriate conversation unless we go bring that person in, unless we're gener- realistically trying to help. And so it's it's standing up to not talk about our frustrations with others without trying to resolve it and bring them in it's not talking about situations others are in and helping others not do that as well it's standing against gossip and we can go on for a long time on that one because it's so important in a small church in any church he goes on to say not being slaves or addicted to much wine and again, that was probably a problem in Crete an escape from life, an escape from responsibilities. But it has to do with self-control, not letting anything control you. But then he says, the positive side, what they're to do, they are to play an essential role in the discipleship of lives of young women. They are to teach what is good, what is noble, what is attractive, what is moral, how to live a godly life. And he goes on and say, and so train the young women, teach them self-control, come in and, and, and help them overcome the natural instincts. The word literally means bring them to their senses. And to our younger women, I'm not saying you're not in your senses, but the word says bring them to their senses because we can, we can lose it when we think of everyday life. We can get some ideas and ways of doing it that are so damaging. And so older women, we need you. We need you to be an example of godliness in everyday life, of holiness in everyday life. We need you to be an example of guarding our tongues and only speaking well of others instead of negatively about others and helping the younger ones do better at that, conquer that. We need you when when your kids are out of the house to adopt some other kids in the church. Young, old, in the middle. Come alongside because our young moms need to know they're not alone. And they need to know they're in this with someone else and they have that input. And so the first two sections are the older of the church. Live life in a way that it's worth copying and pass it on. Be an example and train. And then we get to the younger. And the younger are to be learning how to live self-controlled lives. And if he wasn't meddling before, he will now. And he gets into real life and some challenging things, some things that, quite frankly, culture says is backwards, culture says is wrong, and culture is bombarding us with sinful messages that are destroying the home and destroying the church. And so we desperately need the older to be helping train a different way of thinking because we absorb culture. Without even knowing it, we absorb it. And and and, and yes, these aren't going to be popular, but let's look at these things. This is a word for younger women in four and five. And the, the, the general idea is to embrace Embrace and be all in in everyday life in the family. You're discipling. So verse four, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. And we see a couple of pairs here. The first one is to love or be devoted to your husband and to be devoted to your children. The order matters, husband first and then children because moms and, and, and young women, your kids should know primarily your devotion is to your husband uh, other than God. So we're, we're, we're saying here on earth, and then to them, it's a problem if they think they're over dad. And so they're to love their husbands, the, to be devoted. To be devoted and love their children. There are so many distractions to this. There are so many things that get in the way, including good things like running to all kinds of activities with our children. But do they know you love them? This is a noble calling. It's first here to show priority. For, for, for a young mom, a woman who's married, a woman who has kids, your priority after walking with God is your home and is your family, is your husband and your kids. And that doesn't exclude other interests. It's a statement of what is most important. And he's going to go there a little bit further. But the next one in verse 5, to be self-controlled and pure. And these again go together. I wasn't quite sure how at first, but the 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 grammar there shows that it's a pair. To be self-controlled, same word again, sober-minded, clear-minded, fighting all the other voices of culture that dismiss these God-given responsibilities that were given at creation. But then to be pure, a mind and heart that is devoted to God, undivided. And so this calls us to to be self-controlled, to be focused on what God would have you focus on. And so love has, be devoted to husbands and children. Be self-controlled, be pure. Um, purity also has the idea of sexual purity and to be chaste in how we talk and what we watch and, and things like that. Turning off the soap operas or whatever, whatever. But then he goes on working at home. Some translations say busy at home. And again, this is a statement of priority to say, young ladies, young women who have husbands and and children, God has gifted you, God has created you for that role, and that is your primary role. Now, it is not saying you can't have a job outside of the home, and that's going to have to happen sometimes. But your devotion is primarily to your kids and to raising those kids to be working at home. Now, now this is hard. I've seen things in the last two weeks about feminism and how unworthy moms are that are in the home, how they are wasting their lives, how it's a total loss of the capabilities God has given them. And our kids are struggling. And the most important task God has given you is struggling. And I praise God for what I see some of our young our women, most of our young women devoting to their homes and investing in their homes and saying, yeah, I might have to work or I might have to do this, but, but oh, my, my priority is my family. Don't pass this off to others. Embrace it. God has gifted you to do this if he has given you kids he has gifted you to take care of those kids and he will give you the strength and that is not saying it is easy but it is saying that he will strengthen you to do it you know part of part of this as i as i interact and and, and this is inter, this is an interesting thing to talk about because paul is actually telling titus get the older women to, to teach the younger women how to do this and so a little bit, I'm telling the older women what to teach. But but we're all here, and it's scripture. Um, and I am fully aware that I have never been a mom. And never will be. No matter what you hear in culture. I am fully aware that my responsibilities are different and heavy in a different way. And so this is why we need the older women to come alongside because what I see us absorbing from culture, especially the messages that you younger women are being bombarded with, is that it's not enough. And, and I see looking for significance outside the home, looking for fulfillment outside of the home, you will not find it. Outside of the roles that God has created. And it'll, you'll search and get frustrated and spiral The answer is to fight culture and say, this is where God has created me, gifted me, and where I will find significance. The people you influence most call you mom. Think about that. And I know that that is a heavy weight. I know when kids and toddlers are screaming and you don't know what to do, the weight of that. But good doctrine goes to good behavior. Right doctrine goes to right behavior. And God created male and female with different gifting, different roles, both equal, but both significantly able to do the things he has called them to do. Moms in difficult stages of parenting seek out moms that have been there. Seek out moms that have gone before and have survived and listen to them, hear them. Paired with that, working at home is the next one kind. And again, the grammar pairs these together. And so most commentators think this has to do primarily with the tone in which you run a household, the tone in which you you parent. And so to keep kindness, to keep what is good while running a, a household... One author said it would indicate a lack of irritability in light of nagging demands. I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) Is that possible? With God's help, with the Holy Spirit it is. That's the goal. To fight that irritability, to fight the nagging demands of the mundane and the routine. See, to be kind here is to do good things for others. To be good and benevolent. I think it's helpful outside the home too because I think as moms disciple their kids, they need to see moms doing things for others and doing good for others. And that's part of the training. But all of this, Paul is telling Titus, fight especially the culture of Crete and I would say the culture of the U.S. today. And let's create an environment where young moms and young young women are supported. They have people coming alongside and they are discipling and ministering to their kids he then ends it with and be submissive to their own husbands that the word of god may not be reviled and the idea there is to come under their leadership to follow his leadership and 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 we could spend a whole day on what that looks like and and cover ephesians 5 but it's 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 acknowledging the roles that God created and that we are equal but have different roles and neither of us do the other role, other's role very well. We need each other. And so it's not dealing with it being inferior or superior but distinctive from each other. One author said, each sex has distinctive features, not only physically but emotionally and psychologically. Such features are for the mutual benefit of the other. And so this is the idea of, of having an equal voice, but coming under the leadership of your husband. And again, that is so countercultural today. I'll probably get banned from YouTube after this message. But it's truth, and it's how God created it to work. Ultimately, The point isn't to have really happy, fun homes that the word of God may not be reviled. This is bigger than you. It's about God's reputation. It's about God's testimony. That's where the biblical focus is. And so these are hard things to say. And they are hard things to do when you're in the middle of it. But it flows from sound doctrine that God created this. Fight culture. Fight searching for significance outside of the home. Fight the idea that you're wasting your life if you're at home. Do you believe God's design? Do you believe God created you uniquely to be a helpmate? Don't let society beat you down for what is good and holy and right. The next word to younger men, verse six, I would include seven and eight because I think he's using Titus as an, as, as a younger man, as an example of how six works out. But he just gives in verse six, one instruction for younger men. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, before younger men that are here, before you say I'm off the hook, I only got one. I don't have as many problems as the other three groups. This is awesome. Let's just get rid of that idea right now. Because first, he starts with urge the younger men. He doesn't say this to any other group. The urge there is basically yell this to the younger men. Be self-controlled. And he's not saying that they have no other issues, but he's saying that every issue they have flows from a sense of self. And if they fix their issues with self, it fixes most issues with life. This is a huge one. And, and I've seen it over and over. And my, my hope as I train my young men is to teach them to be self-controlled. To yell it. To pound it into their heads. To be clear-headed. Think before you do anything. Young men, that solves most of your problems. <laughs> Think before you do anything. See, I was a young man, and in some stages I still am, so I can speak experientially to this one. The, the idea of self-control is self-mastery. Do I control my sense of self, or does it control me? And, and this ties to so many issues that, young men, you've got to learn. You've got to learn to step beyond yourself and do the right thing. Step beyond yourself and do the hard thing. Step beyond yourself and do the responsible thing. Because not doing any of those means you're selfish and self-centered. And that's the tone that Paul is saying here. He's not letting young men off the hook. He's attacking the core issue that young men need to face. Keep your sense of self gratification of self, importance of self, under self, under control. It attacks pride. It attacks elevating self, thinking I'm better. It attacks self-centeredness. I'm going to do what I want. It attacks selfishness at your expense. I, I think about this. Think about the issues that young men have and, and young fathers. And, and, and so don't just think teenagers. all oh, man, teenagers need to hear this. Remember up to 40, 50? Okay, so, so we're there. We, we've gotta, we've gotta work on this. Think of laziness. What does laziness stem from? I don't wanna do this. I only wanna do what I want. It's an issue of self-control. We're lazy instead of taking initiative. Think of porn. Where does porn stem from? I believe I should gratify self above what is right. It's an issue of self-control. Think of loving your wife well, even when it's hard. Even when you're not getting along. That's an issue of self-control. Doing what's right and not what I feel. Putting others above self. Think of anger. A lot of young men, we, we, we need to own it. We can be prone to anger. We can be prone to raging. Just drive for a while in traffic. That's giving into self-expression. No, we're called to control our anger and tongue. It's an issue of self-control. Do you see the pattern where I'm going with this? Uh, not me. Where, where God is going with this? I need to be active in the home and with my kids, even when I'm tired, doing what is right instead of what I want. It's an issue of self-control. Issues of video games or sports addictions. It's feeding self because somehow I'm getting gratification from that. Somehow I'm meeting my needs, I think, with that. And it's an issue of self. Doing what is fun and ignoring responsibilities is an issue of self. And so Paul says, young men, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. And if we don't learn to control self, if we don't learn to master self, it will control us and lead us all kinds of places that are damaging, that are unhealthy, that are are, uh, an attack on the godliness of us and in the church, An illustration I like is of a river. When, when water's coming down a mountain, say a stream or a river, where does it go? It goes to the path of least resistance. So if there's a ditch here and a mountain here, it's gonna probably go to the ditch. Right? Because least resistance, it's gonna go down there. And so that's why sometimes you look over a plain and a river going through it, and it's like snaking all over the place. And I'm like, that's not efficient. Should just go straight. But that wasn't the, that wasn't the path of least resistance. The same is true of self-control. If we aren't taking control of that young man and saying, this is what's right, this is where we should go, we are going to meander all over the place and be a mess. My call to you and myself as a young man, sometimes, be a man, not a boy. A man exercises self-control and doesn't let self-control him. A boy, that's all they do. Maybe you do this by intentionally not fulfilling desires, waiting to buy something, not doing something that you just desperately need to do or want to do. It means doing hard things first and responsibilities first before other things. This is our lesson we need to learn as young men. Older men, we need your help in that. We need your help to know it's possible. We need your help to call us on it because a lack of self-control is insidious because it deceives us. And so we need someone to come alongside and say, you're being a jerk. You're being selfish. You're being self-centered, maybe, maybe with a little more kindness, but, um, or at least more relationship because I actually think man to man, we can say it that, that directly within the context of relationship. And then in 7 and 8, Paul, Paul uses Titus as an example of some areas that I think of self-control. So I think 7 and 8 expands 6, in my, in my opinion. So he says, show yourselves in all respects, in every area of life, to be a model of good works. Self-control does what is good, does the hard work of what is good first. Be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity Integrity is showing self-control in in our speech to not lie, to not exaggerate, to not fudge the truth, but to be men of integrity. Dignity, to use the same one that the older men, the the item of maturity we should be striving for. Sound speech. And then he comes back to say that you won't be condemned, that an opponent maybe will be put to shame rather than you because they have nothing evil to say. Young men, commit to self-control. It's important enough to find whatever help you can get to work on this. Because it affects every area of your life. I need to wrap up. So by application, I have two questions there. Two questions that I think are, are vital to come out of this text. Are we willing to train and be the kind of person that can train And are we willing to be trained? Are we willing to train? Are we willing to be trained? And and I've said most of this before. This is summarizing. But are we willing to train? We need older ones to be willing to disciple, to mentor, and to train. We need good examples. And we need you to engage in relationships and not just do this from afar. To be willing to speak into the lives of those that are younger. Even if you have a different view. And so I know that sometimes the younger generation, when you're older, it can be intimidating. I look at, okay, they just have a better better handle on what's going on. They can actually work the TV. They, I I know that's silly, but it's this general mindset that they know better or they know what's going on, and that can be intimidating for those that are older. Don't let that stop you, because God has given you wisdom that we desperately need in the church share it share what you've learned both what you did well and what you didn't do well can can, can I just ask something real quickly those of you 40 and under would you stand up I'm standing too this is cool (laughs) yeah those of you sitting look around These people standing need you and need you to engage. This is God's plan for godliness in the church. You can sit down. Don't check out, but invest in those lives. Side effect of all this, as you retire and wonder about purpose in life, this will give you more purpose in life than you know what to do with. And so take the initiative. Make the first move. Be willing to approach them and say, hey, do you want to go to coffee? It doesn't have to be a huge program. Use Starbucks or or whatever else is out there now. Sorry, I I do Starbucks, but I I know some people think they burn their coffee. Okay. Who are you training? Who are you investing in? I'll just take like two more minutes. Are we willing to be trained? Younger ones, those that stood, and actually all of us, are you trainable? Are you teachable? Here's the thing. We absorb culture, right? And if we're not intentional, we absorb it. And so what I see a lot is the cancel culture, which we hate on media, I see it in the church all the time. Because what I see is when someone's in a discipling relationship, and I can't count how many conversations I've had about this, where someone that is younger, all of a sudden the older person will challenge them on something or will say something they disagree with. And I've seen relationship after relationship end after that. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's cancel culture in our church because somehow we want to push away in our culture those that differ with us. And that destroys discipleship. Because if that person doesn't differ with us, they're just an echo chamber helping us reaffirm bad ideas. We need people in our lives that will differ with us in a godly way that are willing to say, that's not right according to God's word. But let's work together to do what's right. And so my challenge to you that are younger is be teachable. Listen. Be open that you might not have it all together. Because i got to tell you, I don't have it all together when it comes to parenting or anything else in life for that matter. I need those that have gone before me to pray for me, to mentor me, to come alongside. Are we willing to be trained? So my challenge to you is to take the initiative, make the first move and go find someone older than you that can invest in you. Now, you might think, you just said that to the older ones. Yeah, I did. Both should be seeking this out. Both should be taking initiative and making the first move. Neither of us should should succumb to couch gravity and apathy and sit where we are. Are you willing to train? Are you willing to be trained? Read through this passage again this week. Let it soak in, let it hit you between the eyes a little bit, but let God's word form us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word, for what is a a practical, intensely practical passage on doctrine and godliness in the church, but what is a difficult passage? Lord, help us to be a church where discipleship is part of our DNA, where we are seeking it out, where we are investing into each other and hearing the hard things. All for the sake of godliness and following you. Thank you for your word, God, in your name. Amen.